The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 to 13. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And then he said, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Duncan, for reading that um, that passage for us this morning. If you're tuning in via live stream, welcome again. We're glad that you're here with us, uh, joining us this Sunday before Thanksgiving. We started our Advent series a little early uh, this year. We started it last week, um, and we're... Uh, entitled, we've titled the series, A Weary World Rejoices, Advent in Isaiah, and we're spending time in the book of Isaiah, uh, leading up through the season of Advent and even the Sunday after. And uh, the first two sermons here uh, that are kind of before Advent proper, which starts next Sunday, all right, I'm excited about that. The first two sermons in the series have been what we're calling prescripts for Advent, so kind of lead up. And, um, and what they're really doing, and what we're, what we're kind of putting together in these, in these prescript sermons is a little bit of the backstory uh, for, that's focused on the need for Christ's coming in the first place. And so today's text is actually the continuation of what we started last week. And then uh, next week, it actually, we'll we'll be jumping over to Isaiah 11, but it ties in specifically to this passage. And so there's some continuity there, but wanted to give you that just to find, so we can find our place on the page. Um, But um, if you were were paying attention to when Duncan was reading that passage, and you could get past just the uh, beautiful, soothing tone of his voice, and actually hear the content of what he was saying as well... um, this passage is, uh, it's just a doozy. Um, it's a, and so we're going to get into it. Uh, you will not find a Hallmark movie based on this text that we just read. You just, you won't. Because we've been, they're already, you know, they do the Hallmark Christmas movies. I guess they start them in May now. I don't know. But uh, Anyway, they, we've, we've had a couple of those honest background noise in our house. Um, it's amazing how much drama they can squeeze out of nothing that's really dramatic. Um, but we, we've, we've uh, 
This passage is something that is just not the stuff of a Hallmark movie. It is harsh. It's a harsh text. It's a harsh reality. Because what it's telling us, this passage and the verses before that we looked at last week is this. Unless God saves us, we are hopeless. We are hopeless. And I would submit to you that this statement, unless God saves us, we are hopeless, is the point of Christmas. It's the point of Christmas. The lyric to O Holy Night, from which our sermon series is titled, uh, says it very well. It says this, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. In this part of the series in Isaiah, we are in the world in sin and error part of that text. It's the storm before the calm, and we dare not overlook it. We just, we can't. We can't overlook it, lest we become people like Isaiah describes here, who are hearing but are just not understanding. Last week, we, we talked about how when Isaiah was chosen to be God's mouthpiece to the people of Judah, his country was weary, they were adrift, they were lost, their king had, had mocked God's holiness, and God was disciplining the entire nation as a result, and now God is saying, I'm beginning a new work, I'm beginning a new work. And so he appeared to Isaiah in splendor. The train of his robe filled the temple. There were seraphim. They were flying around with their six wings. And the smoke filled the temple. And everything shook, right? And, and it was amazing. And Isaiah was brought to his knees in repentant humility. Do you remember it? Do you remember that? And then God called for somebody to come and speak on his behalf. Who will go for me? And Isaiah volunteered. And he said, here I am. Send me. And in today's passage that we just read, we get to hear the first part of the message that Isaiah was to speak. So here I am, send me. This is the first part of the message. So having set that up, what are we expecting that message to be? Are we expecting that message to be a promise that everything is going to be set right? A promise of relief. I know it's been hard. I know it's been hard. Relief is on the way. Maybe even taking it a step further, you know, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Maybe it's a promise of not only is relief coming, but prosperity. Or maybe, maybe what they're just hungry for and what they feel they might even be a little bit entitled to is kind of an apology from God for all of the difficult things that they've gone through. Have any of you ever felt like God owes you an apology? That from your chair, uh, clearly, things got away from him. Well, what is the message? What is the message that Isaiah is to deliver to Judah? In these verses, the message that Isaiah is told to proclaim is a message of coming judgment. And it's a judgment that is certain, and it's a judgment that is severe. 
And those are my two main points, that it's a judgment that is certain and a judgment that is severe. And then we're going to look up from it at the end because we have a passage in here that, that gives us a clue that something good is coming. But we have to see it. We have to see the very first thing he's, he's told to tell the people is there's judgment coming that is certain. It is going to happen. The train has left the station. There's nothing they can do to stop this. The Lord has passed judgment on Judah for disregarding his holiness and there is no way out of the judgment that is coming. And, and what he says is the people are going to hear you, but they are not going to understand you. They're going to see, but they are not going to perceive. And they're going to have no opportunity to avoid judgment. Isaiah, go tell Judah that. That's a strange call for a prophet, isn't it? Not an enviable one. Who wants that call? I'm here to tell you something, and even as I tell you, you're not going to understand it, and when I show you things, you're not going to perceive what it is, and there's a judgment coming, and there's really nothing you can do to stop it. These verses that we just read, you may be surprised to learn, are the most frequently quoted verses from Isaiah in the New Testament, this declaration of judgment. At least five times it appears. Jesus uses these verses when he's asked why he always taught in parables. He quotes this. He quotes this because what he says is he says that he teaches in parables so that only those that God permits to comprehend will understand. It says that in Mark 4. The Apostle John, in writing his gospel, he used these verses to explain the question that anybody would have of why would... Why in the world would the religious leaders crucify the Messiah? Why would they do that? And what he's saying is because they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't recognize him. Why? Because this is what John says. He says they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They had those blinders on and they couldn't see past it. That's John 12, 43. These verses are also the last words from the Apostle Paul's last sermon or speech in the book of Acts. And what he's doing is he's explaining to people why Gentiles were coming to faith while many religious leaders were scoffing at the message of Jesus Christ. He's saying because the Gentiles were able to see him and the religious leaders couldn't see him for who he was. Is this troubling to you? Is this confusing? Because it doesn't seem like this is how things should go to me, right? Like, shouldn't the result of the proclamation of the gospel be a softening of the heart? Shouldn't the proclamation of the gospel be faith? Shouldn't it be repentance? Here is a passage that is showing us something that is really important for us to see. And what it's showing us is this. God is not a genie in a bottle who exists to do our bidding. He's not. He is instead a holy judge. And you will miss the entire point of Christmas if you forget this. You'll see the trees and the lights and the gifts and you will not understand. You will sing the songs, hear the lyrics, and you won't comprehend. God is saying that as the people listen to Isaiah, 
proclaiming the message of God's judgment, the effect it's going to have on them is it's going to harden their hearts even more. If this is your first time with us, (laughs) not every sermon is so focused on judgment. Ask anybody around you, they will tell you this. And yet at the same time, it's so vital for us to lean into this because really, when we celebrate Christmas, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating God sending us the Christ, the Messiah, who would live in our place, die in our place, take our sin upon himself, defeat the power of death, give us life in his name for all eternity. What this passage is telling us is you have no idea how much you need that. And so he's laying it out for us. But there's judgment here. We we, we don't understand Christmas if we don't understand that God is holy. And so... God is saying, as people listen to Isaiah, their hearts are going to harden even more. What's going on? Isaiah scholar Alex Motyer said this in his commentary. He said, Isaiah was to bring God's word with fresh, even unparalleled clarity. For only the truth could win and change them. But in their negative response, his hearers would pass a point of no return. And the opportunity which could spell their salvation, would spell their judgment. Pastor Ray Ortland, who's a pastor here in town, wrote a beautiful commentary on Isaiah that's uh, very devotional in quality in the way that it reads. Uh, I, I love it, but he said this about this passage, and it's a warning that I think is good for us to hear. He says this, Every time you hear the word of God preached, you come away from that exposure to his truth, either a little closer to God or a little further away from God, either more softened toward God or more hardened toward God. But here's the point. You are never just the same. He continues, our response to the ministry of the gospel reveals our truest feelings about Jesus himself. And on him, every one of us either rises or falls. Often what God's judgment looks like and what we're seeing in this passage is what God's judgment looks like is letting our own choices and our own posture of the heart play itself out. When our response to his call to repent looks like trying to manage our connection with him from a safe distance so that he won't really know how engaged we are or not, God is saying to us, you can't maintain that. You can't maintain that distance. You will only drift further and further. So are we feeling sufficiently boxed in yet? Because there's more. Remember, this is a prescript for Advent. We're setting the table to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we're doing that by looking at the dark side of things here. It gets worse. Because in Isaiah 11 and 13, the the second part of the text that we read, Isaiah asks the question that might be rising up in our hearts. And that question is this. Okay, but how long is this judgment going to last? Just give me a time frame so I can know, like, how long do I need to kind of bear down here? And God's response is showing us that his judgment is not only certain, but it is severe. He says it will go on until every last person has been carried off into exile. 
until every home is abandoned, until every field is ruined. It will be like a forest with every tree cut down and only stumps remain. This judgment will continue until the land is, and I quote, utterly forsaken. Is this fair? We may argue, well, how can God be good and still do something like that? But we have to also ask, in the same breath, how can God be holy and not judge? If God won't look upon sin when he says that he won't, how can he not judge and still be all that he has proclaimed himself to be? We need to understand that God must deal harshly with our sin because holiness demands it. And we must be aware that any other view, lest we commit the sin of Isaiah and enter the presence of God as though we're entitled to, we must beware any other view as though we just are entitled to be in the presence of God on our own without him addressing the problem of our rebellion against him. We are all lawbreakers, and God gave his law, as Romans 3 tells us, so that we might become conscious of sin. That's why God gives us his law. He gives us his law to tell us how to live, but also so that we would understand and know that we are lawbreakers. And so when we say God's judgment is unfair, what we're assuming is we're assuming he has neither right nor reason to judge his people. And this passage is saying, well, that is seeing and not understanding. That's demonstrating how profoundly unaware we are of our guilt before him. His judgment is certain and it is severe because he is perfectly holy. And we have mocked that holiness. You still with me? That's what the passage is saying. And so now what? What do we do with that? Do we just say, okay, I guess we're just miserable people who don't deserve anything and we should just go home hopeless. That's not how God works. He starts talking at the end of this passage. He makes a reference that there's life in the stump, that there's a holy seed that is growing. And next week, when we get into Isaiah 11, boy, we're gonna get into that and it's gonna be fun. But today, the forest is getting cut down. But here's what he says. He says, a holy seed will grow. And here's the continuation of the logic. If God's judgment is certain and severe because God is holy, then if he is also going to redeem us, then his redemption must also be certain and severe if all that he says of himself is true. And what he says of himself is that he will redeem. And if all that he says of humanity is true, that we are helpless to save ourselves. And so we look at verse 13. After all this, what does he say? He says, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And then he says, the holy seed is its stump. Life remains. See the gospel here, the point of Christmas. 
Jesus is that holy seed. Jesus is the one who grows from the ravages of Judah. And we see here that God can do two things at the same time. He can utterly judge and he can still keep people for himself. How is he gonna do it? He's gonna do it by giving us a final prophet who will be both the message of our salvation and the means of our salvation. Isaiah 11, a little foreshadowing, it says it like this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and power, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. And the nations will rally to him. And his place of rest will be glorious. And the Lord will reach out his hand to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people. As with his judgment, his redemption is also certain and it is severe. And this is why we celebrate at Christmas. As we approach the Advent season in these days leading up to Thanksgiving and then next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, as we consider the reason for Jesus' birth, which was specifically to live in our place a perfect and holy and righteous life, to die in our place, taking upon himself a sinner's death and giving us his record of righteousness, and then defeating the power of death by rising from the grave and giving us life in his name. I want to conclude this sermon with another quote from Ray Orland. And this is an appeal. It's an appeal to our hearts and our souls to consider the gravity of Christmas. And maybe you're somebody who has tried to keep Jesus at arm's length. You've tried to be a moral person. You've tried to treat the gospel as though it's good information to direct you for how to live well in this world, but it's been something where you've said, but I'm not letting it move me into a place of, of subjection to the Lord or worship or the fear of God. Hear this appeal from Ray Ortland. He says this, if your heart does not leap at God's grace in Christ, what you need is more grace. Nothing else can save you from your own deadness. Therefore, and here's the appeal, fear your own hardness of heart more than anything else. Beware of rigidity, ingratitude, a demanding spirit. Beware of an unmelted heart that is never satisfied. Beware of a mind that looks for excuses not to believe. Beware of the impulse to always find a reason to delay a response. Beware of thinking how the sermon applies to someone else. God watches how you hear his word. If you are ever again to receive it with at least the capacity for response that you have at this very moment, hear it now. And then he quotes Isaiah 66 too. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. The gift that God is giving us 
through the birth of Jesus is the remedy to the judgment that is certain and severe. It is the reconciling grace of Christ who restores us to a relationship with our maker that our hearts have hungered for and longed for our entire lives. In Advent, we celebrate a redemption that is certain and that is complete. But we have to remember that it comes in response to a judgment that is also certain and severe. Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate at Advent, is the light and the life of the world who reconciles us to our maker. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that the gospel, that your word to us is not a book of self-help and platitudes. Uh, Thank you that it is a story, uh, that it is a story about our need to be reconciled to you, your mercy and grace given freely to us. Lord, we thank you that you have so completely and perfectly addressed our need for salvation so that the, the force of your holy wrath poured out on sin and rebellion and rejection of you is something that is so sufficiently addressed in the work of Christ on our behalf that we have nothing to fear, that we have nothing to hide, and that we have nothing to prove. Uh, Thank you that this is true, and we're grateful for your love and your kindness to us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.